As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. We are diving into the Unbelievable Archives, The programme that you're about to hear was originally broadcast in October 2010. Justin Briley was joined by Lewis scholar Dr Michael Ward and former Christian turned atheist Dan Barker. Here they reflect on the faith, philosophy and apologetics of C.S. Lewis. Let's join them for the first part of their discussion. Well, I'm really looking forward to today's programme. One of my favourite apologists of all time has to be C.S. Lewis, and I don't know about you, but he had a big impact on my personal faith journey. Um, But is his apologetics as relevant as it was 60 years ago when he uh, first wrote? Well, we're going to be looking at the whole subject of C.S. Lewis and his apologetic work with Michael Ward. He's a leading expert on the works of C.S. Lewis, also chaplain of St. Peter's College in Oxford. Author of Planet Narnia and the soon-to-be-released Narnia Code... Uh, find out more about that later on in the programme. But of course his chief claim to fame is he handed a pair of x-ray spectacles uh, to James Bond in the movie The World Is Not Enough. I'm sure we'll find out about that as well. Dan Barker is our other guest on the programme. He heads up the Freedom From Religion Foundation in the States. Formerly an evangelical Christian, he deconverted after coming to question the basis of his faith. And his book, Losing Faith in Faith, tells that story. Uh, Dan read C.S. Lewis as a Christian, reread him as an atheist and came to very different conclusions. We'll be finding out what he thinks about the apologetic approach of C.S. Lewis on today's programme. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me in the uh, studio and on the line today. Um, perhaps we'll start with you, Michael, uh, my studio guest today. Um, you came on ooh, over a year ago now to mm. talk about C.S. Lewis um, with uh, a young lady who had written a book about her own experiences of Narnia mm. and then growing somewhat disillusioned when she discovered there was this Christian imagery undergirding it. Mm. Um, I'm going to post a link to that show, which was a really interesting uh, discussion between the two of you. But today we're moving on from Narnia which is perhaps what Lewis is best known popularly for, Mm. to his apologetics, which is perhaps the second thing that most Christians certainly Mm. know him for. Mm. Um, When did you first bump into C.S. Lewis, the apologist, as it were? Uh, Probably when I was about 12, 13. It must have been about then that I read his Mere Christianity, which I think is his best known work of Christian apologetics, and which was based on a series of radio broadcasts that he gave on the BBC during the Second World War. I mean, 
what I would give to have C.S. Lewis in the studio with me. Mm. Unfortunately, he, he very inconsiderately isn't alive anymore <laughs> uh, at the time that I need him for my radio programme. You, however, I think, are the modern equivalent. Oh, no, say. no, no. Please. <laughs> no way. I had a feeling you might dissociate <laughs> yourself from that. But but certainly you've, you've get, spent a lot of time thinking about C.S. Lewis. Um, what is it about the man and the, the, the Christianity he embodied that, that has made it for you... Uh, a subject of study for the whole of your academic career? Well, I like him mostly as a writer. I think he's just a, a very skillful writer. Um, but what appeals to me about his presentation of Christianity in particular is that it's both um, it's both imaginative and rational. He's got two sides to him. A lot of people are imaginative and can write powerful stories and poems and plays and they know how to use metaphors and images and imagery images and things like that but those sorts of people don't often have a highly trained uh, logical disciplined rational side and lewis did he um he taught philosophy at oxford before he became a, an english uh, literature scholar and um you get both those things in his presentation of christianity do you think possibly in the world of apologetics we we need more of that because there's a lot of and you get it every week on this program kind mm. of reasoned argument mm. i wonder though whether the imaginative flair that lewis brought to his work is something that we sometimes miss uh, we we don't have the ability to to put it out in poetry in mm. film in, mm. in 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 you know generally read literature in the way yeah. that he he somehow managed to do yeah well if one is relying entirely on reason to to talk about the faith, then it's it's like you know just using one of your pairs of eyes. I think you need both eyes uh, in order to focus properly. You need you need uh, clear thinking, yeah, but you also need depth of vision, which mm. often comes more through the use of symbol and poetry than through clear, you know, just bald what you might call ratiocination. You know, the use of the rational faculty. He was kind of a right and left hand brain man in mm, that way. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to be hearing more from you about uh, the, the whole area as we get into today's programme, looking at the apologetics of C.S. Lewis, particularly Mere Christianity, perhaps his best known work. But he wrote, if you like, some more, <clears throat> let's say, in depth or uh, technical books um, that, that, that still have very wide appeal today, including Miracles and the problem of pain, things like that. Um, Dan Barker, though, joins us uh, by phone from the States. Dan has been a guest on this program a couple of times before. Dan, you were um, formerly a, a Christian evangelist. Um, now I would say you are something of an atheist evangelist. Uh, could you just give us in a nutshell the story of what led you to um, abandon your belief in Christianity? Well, being an atheist evangelist is, I guess it's a compliment if evangelism is good. It just means spreading the good news, <clears throat> the good news that there is no God, no heaven, no hell, no threat of judgment and all that, and that our natural world is more than enough to, uh, to give us a sense of awe or of the sublime or, or whatever, uh, that we don't need fairy tales to have a full meaningful life. But, but yes, I did believe. I, I dedicated my life to the faith, and it was wonderful. I, I loved it. Uh, all of my Christian experiences were good experiences. I had no real disappointments or bitterness or, or any of that. I'm still very good friends with many of my former Christian friends. Uh, but it was, as I told you on that previous show, it, the motivation that drove me into the ministry 
is the same motivation that drove me out, and that is to know the truth and to speak the truth, to not be afraid to speak what was true. Um, I hear the argument from a lot of Christians, well, you could not have really known Jesus or you wouldn't have left him, but I make a case that if I was not a true Christian, nobody is. I, I, you know, the Bible says you shall know them by their fruits, and, and, and I was sincerely a believer, and I would go back to it. I, I don't... I'm not opposed to any type of truth, whatever it is. I, I would gladly go back to it if it were true. My defection, if you will, was was intellectual and emotional. It was both sides. Uh, our group also works to promote and educate about the views of non-theists. I guess it is something of an evangelist. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, and in many ways, your your story kind of is is the mirror, if you like, of of Lewis's. In as much as you you went from Christian faith to atheism, Lewis's story is often sort of seen as a story, a classic story, Michael, of of atheist becomes Christian. Um, some people claim, though, that oh, I'm not sure Lewis really was as much an a- as an atheist as is sometimes painted uh, to be. I mean, uh, perhaps that the classic um, place where he tells the story is is, is his biography, uh, "Surprised by Joy," um, and this is a line oft, oft quoted by fans of C.S. Lewis, uh, where he has that moment where he realises he has to capitulate, if you like. He says, You must picture me alone in that room in Maudlin, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. It, it sounds like Lewis kind of, at some level, um, was w- it was reason that drew him to the Christian faith because um, he found his intellectual atheism un- didn't support the world as he actually encountered it. I mean, do you want to give a bit of flesh to, to what, mm. what, what we take from Lewis's conversion story? Mm. You know, um, was he, if you like, an out-and-out atheist? Was he someone who mm. was just not convinced by the God story? I don't know. Well, he certainly described himself as an atheist. Um, presumably he knew better than anybody <laughs> what the real state of his belief was. Um, and I don't think it was just a, a pose. Um, if you look at some of his letters and his diary entries from those years, he clearly seems to have no belief. Uh, in God or Christ. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' death, resurrection and return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. 
That passage you just read from Surprised by Joy is not actually about his conversion to Christianity. It's about his conversion to theism, to a mm. belief in God. Mm. And I think you, I think it probably is fair to say that he reasoned himself to a belief in God. But what led him to a belief in Christ was more than just reason. I think it was, it was other things as well. Um, one of which is is the fact that after he became a believer in God, he he said that he tried and failed for a whole year to obey his own conscience. He really tried to live a what he regarded as a, as a good, upright, moral life. And he said that he, he failed completely. He, he couldn't live up to his own standards, let alone those of this God figure out there that he rationally believed in. So it was that kind of um, moral um, failure, I suppose, that drove Lewis all the way into the arms of Christian belief because he, he felt that it was only through Christ, only through the Holy Spirit, you know, infusing his life, informing his 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 moral actions, that he would actually have the strength, the capacity to be mm. to lead a good mm. life. He couldn't do it on his own. It, it it sounds a bit like what St Paul might have talked about. You know, that we recognise the law, but we recognise that we're incapable of keeping the law. Mm. And and in that sense, um, Christ yes. is, if you like, the key to. That's right. That it's it's a very Pauline thing that he's talking about there. That you know the law comes and brings death with it. Mm. The, the law awoke and I died, is how Paul puts it. And the law is good. One of the things that, the, that is good about the law is that it shows us our incapacity to be good. I mean, surprised, uh, I should say, Mere Christianity, his, his most popular, if you like, apologetics book, which was based, of course, on these radio talks he gave in uh, the, the, the war era, um, a lot of it does dwell on the moral argument for God. Um, this is something particularly, I think, um, that we've covered actually not long ago on the programme, so I don't want to spend too long on it. But but it's something that when you came to reread Mere Christianity yourself, Dan, you you felt um, was an unjust in the way that, that Lewis sort of presented it. Do you, do you want to sort of tell us what the experience was like coming back to C.S. Lewis as an atheist and, and, and how you interacted with the book uh, when you did that? Well, well, yes, as a Christian, I read C.S. Lewis, but um, I didn't need to. You know, it was, it was not like I was searching for God, or I was already a strong believer, and I read C.S. Lewis through the eyes of a Christian. And he was, I admired his writing, and I still do. He's, he's very uh, adept with analogies and uh, with teaching. He's a, 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 obviously a good teacher, and I wish I could write like that, and uh, I don't admire his his logic, though. I, I don't think he really reasoned that much. I, I think, from what I read of his ex- conversion of experience, it was more of a sense of the sublime, the numinous, the emotional, something inside of him. And you hear a lot of people talk like that. Many other apologists, like uh, William Lane Craig, talks about his personal experience with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, how do you argue with that? You don't need reason to argue with something like that. But as I read through it, I saw that what C.S. Lewis was doing was, uh, and he admits it, uh, that he was simplifying. He, he, he admits it in the opening of many of his books, that he's trying to not be too philosophical. He wants to, to write to a broader audience. As I read it again, I realized that, you know, science has come a long way since he lived and thought. And 
especially with the, the question of morality and the so-called natural law, uh, he dismisses the instincts, for example. There is, in fact, a, a naturalistic explanation for what what you might perceive to be this this transcendent natural law within all of us. I, I mean, can, if I can just give give a brief idea of, of, of how Lewis outlined it, again, it's just a, a small quote from, from Mere Christianity, but, but perhaps, you know, th- this is one of the classic lines from it, um, where Lewis says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust we'll come back to you in a moment dan i mean for you um is this a kind of compelling argument when you came across this yourself michael uh, for this concept that there seems to be a standard of what is right and wrong just and unjust these concepts must be grounded in something other than just ourselves otherwise there is no mm. ultimate standard by which we can yeah. say that we have got it right or wrong well i think <clears throat> i think it is quite compelling i mean if this universe has just arisen by chance, by random accident, by some undesigned explosion millions of years ago that has, you know, through a through a succession of, of random mutations led us to this current position, then why should we be indignant at the the cruelty and the wastefulness that we see in so much of nature? I mean why, why would and why would we think that way, and why would we assume that there's any kind of impersonal and objective root to our indignation? Why would we say that that indignation is actually right rather than just something we happen to feel? Um, if the universe really was like that, so Lewis's point is that you know that our our sense of outrage at the crookedness of the universe can only make sense if there is a some kind of transcendent and supernatural standard of rightness to which we can dimly grope our way towards, um, which, you know, you could describe as God if you wished, or or divine spirit. Behind. You don't have to get to Christianity on this basis, but you can at least maybe get as far as theism. And, you know, there are certain philosophers like Anthony Flew, for instance, a notable atheist who's recently decided that, yeah, the- a theistic explanation of of our situation is is better than an atheistic one because atheism doesn't account for a for our ability to describe our indignation as right and correct what's your response dan well uh a couple of things it's totally backwards uh looking at life from the evolutionary framework which is the only way we can look at how we got where we are and, and I'm pretty certain that Michael does not reject the, the fact of evolution. That's right, I don't. Uh, those individuals of us who did not have a sense of injustice and crying out against the threats to our survival, against, raging against the dangers, uh, would not have survived. Those of us who survived are the ones who did, in fact, care enough about our survival to fear those things that threatened our survival. So we have inbred with, within us, because of the choices of our ancestors who did survive, that very natural, very sensible distaste or taboo or fear of that which threatens us. Uh, and by the way, Anthony Flew is not a theist. He, he, at most, you would call him a deist, and he did not use the moral argument for his, his supposed allowance. He didn't convert to theism, his allowance for the possibility of a deistic creator. He doesn't believe in miracles or Christianity or the Bible. 
uh, and his basic argument was the fine-tuning of the initial constants. But in any event, uh, you, you can look at the same set of facts uh, as if they're you know, from one end or the other, and if you already assume that there's a transcendent realm, well, then that makes a nice context within which to place this whole idea of justice and injustice. We know that instinctively, and even Thomas Jefferson pointed this out, he said, uh, you know, if, a, if morality is based on this transcendent world, then how do you explain the morality of the atheist? And he listed many good people who were atheistic, who did not believe in a God, who led wonderful, productive, full, meaningful lives without this belief. So, so I guess it's just a matter of your presuppositions. If you presuppose there's something transcendent, or even if you don't presuppose it, but you've heard it from your culture, and then you have this quote-unquote numinous experience, which happens to a lot of human beings, it's the mystical or the whatever, like C.S. Lewis, well, then you're going to make this irrational jump. I don't think C.S. Lewis's conversion was rational, from what little I know. I think it was a getting in touch with this presence within his mind, this feeling of love, and he talks about that a lot in his books, the numinous, the, the, the joy that he, he says it's the love of a man and a woman is just like milk and water compared to this real love of this inner experience. What, what was happening in him was a, an internal mental experience. Okay, well, I think totally unrelated to any of these supposed, which we yeah. now know are discredited arguments for the existence of a God. Well, I, they're, they're arguments which are still under discussion. I, I wouldn't say they've necessarily been discredited. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Lewis scholar Dr. Michael Ward and former Christian turned atheist Dan Barker. They were speaking to Justin Briley on an unbelievable show, which was originally broadcast back in October 2010. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time.